All right, guys. It's time to talk about it. It's been a little while uh, since I've done my uh, James Bond review. I kind of dropped off the face of the James Bond map there. and Well, it's time for my uh, Spy Who Loved Me uh, review. And uh, that's the one... That's next on this. Uh, I am not really in the in the studio. It's a bit too hot in the studio, so I have to kind of I have to kind of wing it in kind of a second rate um, downstairs of the studio kind of a deal here. Where it's a little bit cooler. All right. I don't have my super duper blue mic, blue Yeti. Uh, plugged in, so you're going to have to deal with this. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> sound. Uh, this one is the best of the bunch of the Roger Mort to me. is Quality. It might not be my f- the favorite like, as far as memories go, because I I'd watched this probably on and off throughout the years. Um, I Obviously, I didn't see this one in the theater. I wasn't, no, I don't think I was born yet. Um, let's see when this came out. When did this come come out here? It was right around that time, though. So let's see. I'm on IMDb as usual. And I'm trying to find the year this came out. Wait a minute. It might have come. No. Hold on. It might have come out when I was born. Let's see here. I think it might have. Uh, I hate... It's like, come on, guys. Put the year it was made on the front page of the sucker. Stars, writers, director. Yeah. It was the year I was born, although I don't think it came out the month. 1977. So, as I was. Um, so this one is awesome because this is the one where they're in Egypt. Um, you got some great things in this. You have... Well, you have the... Uh, the submerged... Uh, submerged, I uh, can't say that. Submerged, I uh, can't say. <laughs> Submersible. So, how do you say that? I'm, I'm, forget that. I can't say that tonight. Um, the submarine white car, the, the car that you can uh, drive in underwater as well as on land. And, uh, the Lotus, uh, I think it's a Lotus, it stands out. And uh, it's definitely one of those hallmark, landmark things, uh, yeah, hallmarks of, uh, of the movie, landmarks. Um, and there's also the underwater, uh, well, not really underwater, kind of underwater. Well, it's underwater and above water uh, base. Uh, 
that looks like something out of uh, um, Justice League, like that, like a villain's lair. Um, even though it, it looks pretty fake, it, it looks obviously superimposed. Uh, as much as I love the design and everything, um, it's, it looks very superimposed above the water. So it's like the scale isn't quite right. <laughs> but when they when they drive into the close-ups in the jet ski, it looks pretty good. When you're not they're not showing the wide shot of it when they're sh- or the long shot. Um, there's it's got a good pacing this one. Uh, the Spy Who Loved Me and the e- Egypt scenes are, are solid. Um, good fighting scenes with him and uh, and the bald henchman there. Short, beefy, bald henchman. And there's a great scene where Roger Moore has the guy by the uh, tie. And uh, he tells him, uh, he asks him, you know, to tell him the information, who sent him or whatever. And he does. And then <laughs> and then Pond just karate chops the tie off or takes the tie off the guy. And, yeah, and he falls and he dies. Like, that was hardcore. Like, dang, you know, that was great because it just shows you that Bond just doesn't mess around. Like, he'll kill you. He'll get the information, but he'll kill your ass, too, <laughs> like, after that. So it had a good it had a good edge to it. I mean, yeah, there's some silliness, but this still had some good seriousness in it. Um, there, You know, towards the end, there's some uh, stuff with... Uh, a bomb, a bomb that uh, is going to blow up and they have to def- defuse the bomb. There's a lot of good suspense at the end where he teams up with the, uh, another, like a, a Navy captain, and they're trying to uh, get through this bulletproof uh, metal door and all that, and there's this bomb they get to defuse, and it's done pretty well. It's, only kind of, it's almost like a little mini-movie uh, towards the end. Um in this Bond movie. And also it, it brings to light that uh, Bond is also a naval commander. See, that's the thing. It's like Bond is so many things. Like he's an expert uh, pilot and uh, he's a great uh, martial artist or fighter. And he's also a, he found the time to be a uh, naval commander, <laughs> which takes, uh, I would think would take, almost you know at least half a lifetime so i don't know it's it's pretty impressive to fit all this stuff in into a lifetime in around the age that he is you know or is supposed to be and uh it's uh it it's pretty it's pretty hilarious but um it's a fun one. The Egypt stuff is done well, uh, where he's on the set and they're having like a like a tour show, um, but it's kind of uh, everything's lit to kind of give give significance to the um, the action scene going on. Um, of course, Richard Keel makes uh, uh, return as Jaws which is great, and Jaws has just done so well in this one. And uh, there's a part with this car where he's tearing apart uh, the car, 
and Bond's backing out onto him and, and everything. It, and he keeps ripping parts of it off. It's pretty exaggerated. It's pretty super villain-ish. But, yeah, it's pretty cool. The The main villain uh, I'm looking at, played by Kurt Jurgens, uh, Stromberg, uh, uh, Kurt, yeah, Kurt Jurgens. Um, I mean, he's he doesn't have that many um, lines in it, but he's a good villain. And there's this this scene where some people stop by, and this, oh, this girl, this woman betrayed him or something, or she gave him up somehow, and so he feeds her to the underwater sharks which is very Dr. Evil. So there's some definite Austin Powers, Dr. Evil staples in this. It's amazing how many movies uh, that Austin Powers takes from the whole series. It's pretty incredible. Uh, And how those tropes keep popping up. It's unbelievable. Um, Storyline. James Bond is back again, and his new mission is to find out how a Royal Navy Polaris submarine holding 16 nuclear warheads simply disappeared while on patrol. Bond joins uh, Major Enya Amasova and takes, uh, also she's <laughs> codenamed Triple X, you know, that's, uh, that's not over the top or anything, and takes on a webbed, web ha- web-handed mastermind known as Carl Stromberg, uh, as well as his henchman Jaws, who has a mouthful of metal teeth. Bond must track down the location of the missing submarine before the warheads are fired. So yeah, spoilers. Um, the uh, submers, submers, I can't say it again, submers. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to t- look that word up how to pronounce it. Um the big uh, underwater layer comes up and it takes, oh no, it's not that, it's a ship. It's a, uh, like a carrier, I believe, that opens up in the front of it and it takes in a uh, submarine from the front of it that opens up. Now that's pretty good. That was impressive. So I think they built a pretty decent uh, bigature for that. Um, and that seemed pretty to scale from what I remember, but the underwater, uh, layer that pops up is, is pretty, I mean, there's some parts where it's coming up and it looks good, but then when they, there's a long shot, it looks, uh, looks like it's fake. Let's see. Uh, trivia. A representative from the Egyptian government was on set throughout the shoot in Cairo, uh, Ankaro, or I think and, and Giza, to make sure the country was not portrayed in an unflattering light. For that reason, when the scaffolding collapses on Jaws, the Bond quips Egyptian, uh, equips Egyptian builders. Sir Roger Moore merely mouthed the line, dubbing it in later. It went in unnoticed by the official Egyptian minder, uh, and ironically got a great laugh from Egyptian audiences. That's fun. Uh, Goose. For some reason, the wet bike is brought into the captain's quarters for assembly. 
Nobody in their right mind would do this. Uh, it'd be assembled outside of the submarine since trying to carry it fully assembled throughout the sub would be virtually impossible. <laughs> oh, funny. <laughs> I never thought about that. That's a good point. Um, I think this is one of those times, in the uh, first times in a, in a Bond movie where uh, he teams up with a Russian agent uh, who is triple X in this. And, and there's a scene where Bond shows up at, at his um, secret Q layer and there's uh, the KGB uh, boss there and they've teamed up for the first time and uh, both of his bosses there. He's teamed up with the M. Let's see here. Let's see. Of course, we got the song um, from Carly Simon, The Spy Who Loved Me. And uh, so great. So great. What a classic song. One of my favorites. One of the one of the best soft rock hits ever made, and uh, it's awesome. Let's see here. Back. Let's see. Top review. Uh, after a cr the critical and commercial beat beating taken by the man with the golden gun producer Albert Broccoli, now solely in charge of the 007 franchise, had to reevaluate re the series for the third time in less than ten years. Certainly Roger Moore would never be believable in a Sean Connery-type Bond film, but he couldn't come, or he couldn't, sorry, he couldn't sum, but couldn't sum of the series. <laughs> sorry about that. That sounded a little dirty. But he but couldn't sum of the series. The best, <laughs> what's on my mind, you know? The best series. Best elements be restored, and and the comedy reduced a bit to make uh, Moore's Bond a bit more blue. This is why I have explicit uh, on my podcast, okay? Uh, and the the comedy reduced a bit to make Moore's Bond a bit more believable. See, and it says, and I want to, I want to uh, tell you this in the review, or highlight this. Uh, the comedy reduced a bit being the key. Uh, take note, uh, Thor, Love and Thunder. Uh, the research, which became the basis of The Spy Who Loved Me, took over two years to complete. Whew, and the script went through many writers before the final draft, but by Christopher Wood and Richard uh, Maibaum. With a renewed emphasis on more, a more realistic action, uh, Broccoli brought back Lewis Gilbert to direct. His earlier Bond effort, You Only Live Twice, while not a major hit, had featured the most spectacular action sequences in the series. With Gilbert on board, the production became very reminiscent of the Connery film. Uh, and I will say that, you know, there's some sub parts in this movie where people are in, in the sub, and it reminded me of You Only Live Twice, where they get uh, Connery Bond's body out of, 
from underwater after his fake uh, uh, death scene. And they bring his body aboard the submarine and they unzip it and there's Connery like nothing ever happened. So it was very uh, – I was getting uh, feelings from that, like totally remind me of that. Also, there's a scene in the beginning of this movie where uh, Connery – not Connery, but uh, where Bond here, he uh, – he, well, in the beginning of the movie, he's it's a big ski, uh, ski. Oh boy, I can't talk tonight. Big ski uh, chase scene, and he uh, shoots one of the guys chasing him with his uh, um, pole uh, pole gun, and he jumps off the cliff, and it's one of the best bond openings ever, uh, and. He falls and he lets you know he lets out his parachute and it's a big Union Jack parachute and uh, that's when the the Bond theme kicks in and then the music and uh, it's so great. But uh, his Russian partner, that was her uh, husband or boyfriend or something like that, and he looks like in the movie he looks like. Uh, George Lazenby, he looks almost just like him. So it was very unusual to see like a George Lazenby uh, looking person thinking, wait a minute, isn't is this Roger Moore or Lazenby that's the Bond in this one? But I digress. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it says, even the concept of the super tanker swallowing submarines echoed you only live twice. And the spacecraft eating Spectre capsule. That's right. That's right. Because in Spectre, yeah, and only, you only live twice. The the spacecraft eats the Spectre uh, capsule and eats um, satellites and stuff. Yeah. Let's see here. I'll, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but. Um, there's some good stuff here in this review. It's a long review. And this won't be the last, won't be the last time we see Jaws. Let's see. Here we go. In an effort to update Bond into an era of feminists, the strongest, most independent love interest to appear in uh, a Bond film at to that point was introduced. Mayor, uh, Major Anya Umasova, played by Ringo Starr's wife. Oh, I didn't know that. The exotically beautiful Barbara Bach, either Bach or Botch, I think it's Bach, was Bond's opposite number on the Russian side and equal to 007 in every way. The pivotal scene, she would display knowledge of Bond's past even that even included his dead wife. Tracy, I like the callback. The callback there was nice in the movie. Gives some continu- continuity. First time Bond's marriage had been men- mentioned since on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Moore's reaction to her comment would be both, both emotional and abrupt and demonstrated that he could do far more than just deliver witty one-liners. Yeah, that was a nice touch. Uh, and the spectacular ski chase pre-title sequence climaxing with a parachute free fall off a cliff. Love that Union Jack to Bond and Annie's confrontations with Jaws in Egypt. Ben, a reminiscent of Bond's fights with Oddjob and Goldfinger 
and Teehee and Live and Let Die. Definitely. There's a lot of callbacks, like um not e- even though even Jaws, like the but even before him with the bald the bald dude that he fights is beefy. And it reminded me of Odd Job. Um to the amazing lotus that would do service on land and in the ocean. I was right, it was a lotus. To the massive tanker battle while Bond disarms a nuclear warhead. Sades of Goldfinger. Yeah, definitely. Disarming the bomb. Uh, the Spy Who Loved Me would do homage to 007's previous adventures. Yeah, and it works so well. And utilize humor to support an on, the on-screen action instead of spoofing it. Rather than the brief use of... Uh, other, other than the brief use of the Lawrence of Arabia theme. You'll spot it. And to top things off, Carly Simon's rendition of the titles, film titles too, Nobody Does It Better, would become a top ten hit worldwide. Critics and audiences love The Spy Who Loved Me, hailing it as Moore's best work and one of the better bonds of all time. Things were again looking up for 007. But Star Wars was about to debut, and things would grow, and things would grow what would grow. Things would go dreadfully amiss when Broccoli decided to send Bond into space in Moonraker. <laughs> Let's see here. Oh yeah, it, it's such a fun one. It, it's it's so rewatchable. I love watching it every time. Um, let's go to more more trivia. More trivia. See? Let's see. If anything else comes to mind, I'll let you know. Let's see. Da, 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 da. By this time, was but by the time this movie uh, was uh, made, the James Bond film franchise was the most was the most lucrative in the world, and many manufacturers wanted their products featured. There is a great competition for the company that would supply Bond's car. Don McLaughlin public relations manager of Lotus realized that the best way to win the coveted position was to make the producers chase after him uh, rather than going begging to them. One day, one day he, he uh, <clears throat> turned up at Pinewood driving a brand new unreleased Lotus Spirit. Uh, while all identifying names covered up, uh, he parked it outside the bond set, knowing that the producers would see it uh, when they broke for lunch. Once the car had attracted a crowd, all clamoring to know that that the car was McLaughlin, McLaughlin <laughs> nonchalantly got in the car and drove away without answering any questions. As he had expected, the producers were d- desperate to discover that the car was and produced was and producer Robert R. Broccoli later chose it for the movie. 
let's see what else stands out. And yeah, that car is awesome. Let's see. Rick Sylvester's opening sky s- ski s- uh, stunt was shot from the top of Asgard Peak on Baffin Island in Canada. The, sub- the summit was only accessible by helicopter. A small crew, including Sylvester and second unit director John Glenn, traveled there in uh, July of 76, a month before uh, principal photography began. They stayed in the neighbor, neighboring village of, I'm going to mess this up, Peng, Peng Nier Tung, uh, for 10 days, awaiting the right weather conditions. Numerous cameras were positioned around the site to capture the moment. That's, that's the thing. You doing a major stunt like that, you want to have multiple cameras. <laughs> you don't want to miss anything, especially on film. Uh, multiple viewpoints. All the camera operators felt that they lost sight of the skier as he went sailing off. Ex- all except whew, all except one camera, which stayed with them, with him throughout the stunt. The scene was all uncut. Sylvester's pay was thirty thousand dollars. That's not bad, even for back then. Then you know, even for now, that's not bad. Sylvester was supposedly given an additional bonus when he successfully completed the shot. And it's 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 one of those stunts that makes cinematic history. Uh yeah, and there's a lot of trivia here. I mean a lot. Oh, this is yeah, this is a good callback to Blazenby. The famous the famous Union Jack parachute ski jump. Uh, stunt during the pre-title sequence is originally suggested by Lord George Lazenby to be used on Her Majesty's Secret Service, but the necessary equipment to film it was not available then. The bomb producers thought it was a great idea and later added the Union Jack to the parachute and used it in this movie. It had been noted with that scene's climax. James Bond's status with the people of Britain changed from being simply a popular, popular character who happened to be British, to an iconic British hero on par with King Arthur, Robin Hood, and Sherlock Holmes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, it's funny how when Bond kind of emulates itself and the things that you made it unique about itself, like how this kind of calls back the earlier uh, Sean Connery movies, that it does great. But when it emulates other kinds of movies, I don't think it does that good. You know, again, I always say Bond should set the standard. The Bond movies are what can drive culture as well. Um, Richard Keel, Jaws could only keep the metal teeth in his mouth for about half a minute at a time due to the excessive pain and discomfort. He often had to show comic expressions, which was quite contradictory to the way he was feeling. Wearing the extremely uncomfortable uh, braces, Keel, at seven foot two, played an almost identical part in Silver Streak. Ah, I forgot about that part. Uh, 
that's been a while since I've seen that movie. The chain through which Jaws bites was made of licorice. <laughs> In order to simulate the character's metal teeth, uh, Keel's stunt double, Martin Grace, used pieces of orange peel wrapped in aluminum foil smart huh half a minute whew it's like 30 seconds do the excessive pain and discomfort wow that's something else The eyesight of cinematographer Claude Renoir was failing at the time of this movie. Oh, that sucks. And he could not see to, uh, to the end of the massive super tanker set. As a result, he could not supervise the light, lighting. Uh, Ken Adam turned to his friend Stanley Kubrick, huh, who under the condition of complete secrecy supervised the lighting. He suggested the use of floodlights in addition to Catherine, uh, Katharina uh, Kubrick, Kubrick's step, stepdaughter, designed the dentures that Richard Keel uh, wore in the movie and in Moonraker. That's pretty neat. See, this makes sense that Can't Stanley Kubrick was there because he was in England a lot. I think he lived there, but he worked there quite a bit and used Pinewood Studios for other movies, I'm pretty sure. I, think, I know uh, Dr. Strangelove was shot in Pinewood Studios. I'm like 90% sure it was. Let's see. The movie introduced uh, the, the world to the world a... By sea scooter, known as a wet bike, better known now as a jet ski, uh, sparkling a new water activity industry. The gadget was commonly referred to as the motorbike that rides on water. So this introduced the to, to the world like it had, wasn't out yet. I'm wondering, or this movie was the cause of jet skis. I wonder. I'm not sure, but it definitely attributed it to the, its popularity. It's pretty incredible. First Bond movie to make significant references to Bond's past, including his recruitment to the British Secret Service uh, from the Royal Navy, um, his many lady friends, and his marriage to Tracy uh, and on Her Majesty's Secret Service. See, I love that because I love the continuity it adds layers um, to things. And as long as you don't lean on it all the time, you know, use it here and there, it's great. Um, Ian Fleming was so disappointed with The Spy Who Loved Me, novel that he, could, he would not allow the publisher to print the book in paperback. Wow. It was not until Fleming's death that the book became widely available. Wow. Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley saw this movie on Wednesday. August 10th, 77, man. 
during a special viewing at the General Cinema in Whitehaven, Tennessee. It was the last movie he saw as he died six days later on Tuesday. Oh, that's sad. At the age of 42. Uh, he died the year I was born. That sucks. He died before I was born. That's that's a bummer. That's a bummer. Yeah. Let's see here. After the movie's release, demand for the White Lotus a Spirit cars surged to the point that new customers had to be placed on a three-year waiting list. Uh. <laughs> Carl Stromberg, Kurt Jurgens, has webbed hands. What? However, they often go unnoticed by viewers on video and DVD compared to when the movie was released in cinemas. I didn't even know that. Oh, my gosh. They should have had a close-up scene of it. A bigger image uh, on a theater screen makes them more noticeable. In one of the later scenes, you can clearly see that this, that this is in a side view of his right hand. Wow. I never even knew that till now. This is wild. This is why you watch good movies over and over. Because you never know what you're going to find here. The scene where James Bond is watching a light show that illuminates the Sphinx and the pyramids, this is what I was talking about earlier, is an actual show called the Sound and Light Show, which would continue to be shown for many years afterwards. That's pretty neat. But the, the way they, they use the lights and everything is just really done well in the, uh, in the scenes. Um, it's just a really neat use of lighting and, you know, shadow uh, synchronized with music and narration. That's wild, the, web, the webbed hands. The title song... Nobody Does It Better was sung by was sung by Carly Simon with music by Marvin Ham Hamlish Limsh. Uh Hamlish. The lyrics by Carol by Bayer Sager. Uh it is the second Bond theme song to be titled differently from the name of the movie that is played on the main titles. Although the phrase The Spy Who Loved Me is included in the lyrics. The first differently named theme is all the time in the world from the movie on Her Majesty's Secret, Secret Service. Yep. It's a great one, too. The metal teeth worn by Jaws are on display at the Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. <laughs> to pay tribute to the death of Sir Roger Moore, yeah, rest in peace, two James Bond movies, this movie, and for your eyes only, uh, Moore's two favorite of his two, yeah, Moore's two favorite of his Bond movies, um, as well as the two he considered his best, were re-released re on selected dates in selected territories around the world. Ooh, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Within a few weeks of his passing, 
with a 50% of the proceeds going to Moore's beloved charity. Oh, I wish UNICEF, which uh, he was a goodwill ambassador. Yeah, that's, I wish I had known about that. That would have been cool. I would have maybe, I don't know if um, they they had it playing anywhere by me, but that would have been great. The proceeds going to his charity? Man. Well, maybe I'll just do a do- donation to uh, UNICEF. One of the first directors to be considered uh, was Steven Spielberg. Uh, there was some worry about his inexperience as he co- was caught up in an extremely lengthy uh, pre-production schedule for a little movie he was making at the time called Jaws, which provided inspiration for a major character in this movie. That would have been a while if Steven Spielberg directed a Bond movie. It would have been pretty different. A lot more. It would have been a lot more stylized. A lot more moving camera. Watch this movie. Director Lewis Gilbert um, also decided to fix what he felt the previous Sir Roger uh, Moore movies were doing wrong, which was writing the Bond character too much uh, the way Sir Sean Connery played him. And instead portray Bond closer to the books. Very English, very smooth, good sense of humor. Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, it, there's just so much trivia. It's fantastic. I could I could be here all night talking about the trivia. It's it's great. It, it's such a fun movie. Um, I'm gonna eventually I'm gonna watch the whole series with with the commentaries um, on my on my projector. Um, the Man with the Golden Gun, which is the one before this. No, was it? I think Live and Let Die was put. No, no, yeah, it was the the Man with the Golden Gun was before this. Um, that was more of a niche. That was a, a kind of a niche bond where it's like it was just kind of weird. Um, I, I don't think it didn't it did as well because it was so uh, so strange and and uh, a little wacky. But it's still a, a good fun movie. Let's see. It says despite the disappointing box office of uh, the Man with the Golden Gun. Albert R. Broccoli nevertheless invited 13.5 million of the production of of this movie, the most expensive Bond movie yet produced. The Union Jack parachute used in the opening sequence is an incorrect design. I didn't know this either. The Red Cross of St. Patrick is swapped with the White Cross of St. Andrew in one corner. Uh, Huh. Since Prince Charles obviously did not notice this during the movie's premiere, uh, when he stood uh, in honor of the flag, wow! 
probably in the middle of the movie theater. He stands up. That's wild. I mean, it's good, but it's just it's, it's kind of different. Let's see. So, yeah, in his uh, auto commentary, Sir Roger Moore comments on the opening parachute ski jump that could have gone horribly wrong for stuntman Rick Sylvester. After the jump, a disengaged uh, ski clipped from the unopened chute as it was falling. Yeah, I noticed that in the movie. It almost hit the parachute. Um, the ski could, as e- could, could have easily have uh, pre- prevented the chute from opening. It could still be seen in the final footage when the ski clips uh, the about-to-open parachute. Yeah, that was a close one. That's why, you know, these stuntmen that do these movies, you know, are to be respected because, you know, some of them, a good amount of them die doing these stunts. I know there's a death in uh, Quantum of Solace, probably uh, during the opening driving scene. So it's the real real deal with these stunts. Uh, The Lotus Spirit, capable of transforming... uh, from car to submarine in the movie was purchased for six hundred and sixteen thousand pounds um, at a London auction in October two thousand thirteen by Elon Musk, who plans to rebuild the vehicle as an actual dual po- dual purpose car. Isn't that special? <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. That's great. Well, I'm going to wrap it up because I want to keep it somewhat, you know, in a, in a good range here between a half hour and an hour. But go check out, if you haven't seen this movie... It's, you know, you don't have to watch it in sequence with the rest of the Bonds, obviously, but it's a fun one to revisit. The Spy Who Loved Me. It's one of the best Roger Moore. My favorite. No, I don't, I can't say my favorite because my nostalgic favorite is, is coming up, but it's, it's up there. It's like, I think it, it's the best one out of um, all of them, but it's not nostalgically my favorite because you know, I'm more attached to his later movie. But really, this is the best one by him. The next one's really good, too. Um, but this one has the great the great moments in it. With the, you got the car, you got Jaws, you got Egypt, uh, you got an all odd, oddball kind of villain that he fights. Um, it's just put together so well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for his webbed hand, uh, villain's webbed hand. That's wild. So thanks for listening. I know it's been a while since I've done uh, a Bond review on the marathon, but uh, I had to kind of fit in the time to do it, and it's been a busy uh, little summer. So so I'll see you guys back here for, uh, for, your, for your eyes only, which I believe is the next one. I don't think it's a space one. I don't know. I don't think it's Moonraker. I think it's for your eyes only. Yep, because it says... The closing credits will say James Bond will return and for your eyes only.
Oh, wait a minute. Says the says, the closing credits say James Bond will return in For Your Eyes Only. But because of the successes of Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Moonraker was chosen. So Moonraker is the next one. Oh, I'll see you guys back here for Moonraker. All right. Bye-bye.